0: Chapter twenty seven of Jock of the Bushveld by Sir Percy Fitzpatrick. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Sally McConnell in Betty's Bay, South Africa, in March twenty ten. Chapter twenty seven His Duty and Jock but i never saw my dog again for a year or so he lived something of the old felt-life trekking and hunting from time to time i heard of him from ted and others stories seemed to gather easily about him as they do about certain people and many knew jock and were glad to bring news of him the things they thought wonderful and admirable made pleasant news for them to tell and welcome news to me and they were heard with contented pride but without surprise as, just like him, there was nothing more to be said. One day I received word from Ted that he was off to Scotland for a few months, and had left Jock with another old friend, Tom Barnet, Tom at whose store under the big fig tree seedling lies buried. And although I was glad that he had been left with a good friend like Tom, who would care for him as well as any one could, the life there was not of the kind to suit him. For a few months it would not matter, but I had no idea of letting him end his days as a watchdog at a trader's store in the Kaffir country. Tom's trouble was with thieves, for the natives about there were not a good lot, and their dogs were worse. When Jock saw or scented him they had the poorest sort of luck or chance. He fought to kill, and not as town dogs fight. He had learnt his work in a hard school, and he never stopped or slackened until the work was done. So his fame soon spread, and it brought Tom more peace than he had enjoyed for many a day. Natives no longer wandered at will into the reed-enclosed yard. dogs ceased to sneak into the store and through the house, stealing everything they could get. Jock took up his place at the door, and hungry mongrels watched him from a distance, or sneaked up a little closer when, from time to time, he trotted round to the yard at the back of the building to see how things were going there. All was well enough during the day, but the trouble occurred at night. The Kaffirs were too scared to risk being caught by him, but the dogs from the surrounding kraals prowled about after dark, scavenging and thieving where they could, and what angered Tom most of all was the killing of his fowls. The yard at the back of the store was enclosed by a fence of close-packed reeds, and in the middle of the yard stood the old fowl-house with a clear space of bare ground all round it. On many occasions kaffer-dogs had found their way through the reed-fence, and killed fowls perching about the yard, and several times they had burgled the fowl-house itself. In spite of Jock's presence and reputation, this night-robbing still continued, for while he slept peacefully in front of the store, the robbers would do their work at the back. Poor old fellow! They were many, and he was one. They prowled night and day, and he had to sleep Sometimes. They were watchful, and he was deaf, so he had no chance at all unless he saw or scented them. There were two small windows looking out onto the yard, but no door in the back of the building. Thus, in order to get into the yard, it was necessary to go out of the front door and round the side of the house. On many occasions Tom, roused by the screaming of the fowls, had seized his gun and run round to get a shot at the thieves, But the time so lost was enough for a kaffir-dog, and the noise made in opening the reed-gate gave ample warning of his coming. The result was that Tom generally had all his trouble for nothing, but it was not always so. Several times he roused Jock as he ran out, and invariably got some satisfaction out of what followed. Once Jock caught one of the thieves struggling to force a way through the fence, and held on to the hind-leg till Tom came up with his gun. "'On other occasions he had caught them in the yard. "'On others again he had run them down in the bush "'and finished it off there without help or hindrance. "'That was the kind of life to which Jock seemed to have settled down. "'He was then in the very prime of life, "'and I still hoped to get him back to me some day, "'to a home where he would end his days in peace. "'Yet it seemed impossible to picture him in a life of ease and idleness, "'a watchdog in a house sleeping away his life on a mat.' his only excitement keeping off strange kaffirs and stray dogs, or burrowing for rats and moles in a garden with old age, deafness, and infirmities growing year by year to make his end miserable. I had often thought that it might have been better that he died fighting, hanging on with his indomitable pluck and tenacity, tackling something with all the odds against him, doing his duty and his best as he had always done, and died as Rocky's dog had died. If, on that last day of our hunting together, he had got at the lioness and gone under in the hopeless fight, if the sable bull had caught him and finished him with one of the scythe-like sweeps of the scimitar horns, if he could have died like Nelson in the hour of victory, would it not have been better for him, happier for me? I often thought so, for to fade away slowly— to lose his strength and fire and intelligence, to outlive his character and no longer be himself. No, that could not be happiness. Well, Jock is dead. Jock, the innocent cause of Seedling's downfall and death, lies buried under the same big fig tree. The graves stand side by side. He died as he lived, true to his trust, and this is how it happened as it was faithfully told to me. It was a bright moonlight night. Think of the scores we had spent together, the mild, glorious nights of the bushveld. And once more Tom was roused by a clatter of falling boxes and the wild screams of fowls in the yard. Only the night before the thieves had beaten him again, but this time he was determined to be even with them. Jumping out of bed, he opened the little window, looking out on to the fowl-house, "'and with his gun resting on the sill, waited for the thief. "'He waited long and patiently, "'and by and by the screaming of the fowls subsided enough "'for him to hear the gurgling and scratching about in the fowl-house, "'and he settled down to a still longer watch. "'Evidently the Caffer-dog was enjoying his stolen meal in there. "'Go on, finish it!' Tom muttered grimly. "'I'll have you this time if I wait till morning.' So he stood at the window, waiting and watching, until every sound had died away outside. He listened intently. There was not a stir. There was nothing to be seen in the moonlit yard, nothing to be heard, not even a breath of air to rustle the leaves in the big fig tree. Then, in the same dead stillness, the dim form of a dog appeared in the doorway, stepping softly out of the fowl and stood in the deep shadow of the little porch, "'Tom lifted the gun slowly and took careful aim. "'When the smoke cleared away, "'the figure of the dog lay still, "'stretched out on the ground where it had stood, "'and Tom went back to bed, satisfied. "'The morning sun slanting across the yard "'shone in Tom's eyes as he pushed the reed gate open "'and made his way towards the fowl-house. "'Under the porch where the sunlight touched it, "'something shone like burnished gold. "'He was stretched on his side.' It might have been in sleep, but on the snow-white chest there was one red spot. And inside the foul house lay the dog, dead. Jock had done his duty. End of chapter 27